out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and ten, Walsh. Any distance down the distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Sagner here with my guy, Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, how you feeling about the offseason? Oh, man, we are getting there, inching closer and closer. Training camp. Next time we talk to you guys, actually, uh, we'll be previewing training camp. Um, we're, that will be the next weekend as we go this every other weekend off-season schedule. And I think we're gonna actually going to try to be on back on a weekly basis at that point uh, once we get to that point. So, pumped up, man. I'm pumped up. Uh, going in my second year, uh, you know, lead analyst uh, with the title, you know, breaking a lot of stuff down. You know, last year, you know, learning on the fly a little bit this year, I feel a little, you know, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm a little more, uh, you know, I'm ready to go, man. I'm just ready to, uh, you know, cover this. A lot of new faces on this team, a lot of new uh, things to learn in training camp. So St. Joe's going to be a lot of things uh, to, to learn, a lot of things to to break down. So I'm excited, man. I'm just pumped up. I love it. I love the youth and enthusiasm. And that's going to be a theme for a lot of our questions today. So we might as well just dive in. Got some great questions on Twitter today from the mailbag. And one that wasn't even asked to us, but I just decided we're going to co-op this um, question from Matt Miller at Drafts NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. He's a great follow. If you don't already follow Matt Miller, I, I actually would be surprised. But Matt Miller was having a conversation about interior offensive linemen, and there was a list that came out uh, on ESPN that talked about the different uh, who are some of the better interior offensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, Creed Humphrey was was mentioned. Trey Smith was mentioned. Uh, and he said, this actually begs the question, do the Chiefs have the best interior offensive line in the NFL? And, and how crazy is it that Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, uh, not a, neither was a first rounder? Uh, and so uh, what do you think, Ron? Is it the best interior offensive line in the NFL already? Yeah, well, first of all, shout out Matt Miller. Um, definitely a, a good follow, a friend of the friend of the show for sure. Just uh, I've actually had a beer with Matt Miller, so shout out uh, Matt Miller. And he also went to a Chiefs game one time, and I remember I was at the game too. And he won like one of those like pizzas in the crowd, like you know how they like have pizza in a certain section and row. And all of a sudden, you like they show the winner, and it's Matt Miller and all his dudes. If you guys follow him <laughs> on Twitter, it's all the you know country and all those guys. Uh, so yeah, great dudes. Uh, you know, shout out them. Um, and yes, no, I, I think he's on to something here, man. I when you're talking about the every uh, all three positions, the interior offensive line, both guards and the center position. I mean, it is as full as it gets. Like you know, all three guys are really good. Probably you know, close to the top of their position already. And they're you know, when you compare it to other teams, like I feel like a lot of good teams, a lot of good offensive lines have that two out of three on in the interior offensive line. You look at the Colts, they have like Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly as the left guard and center. But then Danny Pinter is the right guard. I don't know who that is, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> the, the Browns, you know, they have Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, really good guards. But they actually let go of J.C. Treader this offseason, who I, I thought was a pretty good center. So, you know, now they have a question mark at center. Uh, even the Cowboys, like they have Tyler Beattis and Zach Martin the center and right guard. You know, Tyler Smith, he's that first-round rookie. Uh, if, if you followed our draft coverage, 
Tyler Smith was that raw Tulsa offensive tackle that just, you know, super raw athlete. Like he was a super young player. Um, I don't know if he's going to hold up super well right away in the NFL. So I don't know, Sags. I, I really do think it, it could be the best interior offensive line. I mean, there's other team, you know, teams that have, again, two out of three, like really good players in, you know, those three positions. The Chiefs got three home runs, uh, you know, all three spots. And I think that really does give them the number one spot. Man, in one offseason, all three home runs. But if you look back a couple of years, you know, the, the Bucks interior offensive lineman during that Super Bowl run was was tough off of that list. Um, they're still pretty good there. The Eagles have a couple of good guys with with a, somebody I really liked in the pre-draft process was Landon Dickerson and uh, Jason Kelsey on that line. So there's some other good ones around the league. But looking at this list, I don't know that I would trade the three Chiefs interior linemen for anybody else on this list. Whether they're the best today is questionable. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that long-term, they're in an incredibly good spot on this whole offensive line, especially the interior, especially with Creed and Trey. You know, you've already got you've got one guy already that is top four in the league at his position playing left guard for you but the youth of, of creed and trey smith uh, and then again however the tackles work out this year it should be something for this for this chiefs fan base to be really excited about and so so yeah whether or not they're the best i don't know that i would trade them for any other group yeah and the thing with having all three uh interior offensive linemen being so young like having the, the future they have i mean i know tooney's obviously the veteran now and and you're paying him but, you know, Creed and, and Trey Smith, they're going to want their paydays eventually, too. Um, and it's going to, you know, it's going to come at the end of Tooney's contract. And, and so, um, you know, you probably move on from that at, at, at some point. And you got to get cheap at one of the positions, right? I think that's the beauty of it right now. Both of them are on rookie contracts. You can't pay all three, uh, you know, big money. That's just that's it's not a valuable enough position um, to get away with that with all the other positions you need to pay money to. Um, and that's why it's working right now. But when when they do their when their contracts come up and, and they want to negotiate, um, it'll be interesting, man. Because you know they can't keep all three at big money. It's just not how that position works. Yeah, success on the offensive line comes from players on their rookie contracts. It comes from continuity, and it comes from layering in players uh, through the draft. So you've really got to just continue to to look at the draft over the next couple of years try to find the next guy in line and be able to rotate those out. You, you probably say that for just about any position, but especially the interior offensive lineman, because people yeah. do not like to pay those guys. Yeah, no, exactly. And honestly, throughout Andrew's tenure in Kansas city, I feel like it's been a, a major theme of his that he's always gotten the most out of six, seventh round picks undrafted free agents at center and guard. I mean, you can name them off. I mean, you're talking about Austin Ryder starting a super bowl for the chiefs as a seventh round pick. You know, Wiley, I mean, Wiley's been, and, you know, obviously he played guard a lot before this last year, and now he's the right tackle. But, um, you know, even LDT, a sixth-round pick, I mean, you know, I, they made the mistake of, of paying, not mistake, you know, shout out LDT, but, you know, they, they kind of had that theme of getting all this good out of six, seventh-round picks, and then they decided to pay one of them, which is totally backwards when you're getting, you know, constantly getting the most out of those kind of guys. But anyway. Yeah. And then he was gone, right? So yeah, ex exactly. He never played, you know, as well as he did before the contract. But it, it is it is an interesting point that they have, you know, three years left of these guys on on cheap deals. But once they come up, man, they're gonna have they're gonna have their say in being one of the highest paid at their position. I mean, they obviously they're already on their way for sure. 
Well, continuing this trend of youth and upside and breakouts, aim down sites on Twitter. Who do you think the returning chief who is most likely to have a breakout year? He throws out a couple of candidates here. Um, Juan, McColl, Tyreek uh, being gone with, with, you know, McColl could break out there. Uh, Clyde and then uh, uh, Legere Sneed. Uh, of those or of the rest of the roster, do you have a guy earmarked as your as your breakout candidate this season? Yeah, and it's obviously important to define breakout uh, for each of these players, right? Because these are all guys that have done a certain level of success in the NFL, all the guys he's mentioned and, and guys that are possible answers for this. But when you talk about most likely, I I really am on the luxurious need trade, man. I, I, I think he is a really good player that um, has become underrated a little bit um, just because maybe he's kind of a – He's kind of not a traditional type of player for what he plays, uh, what position he plays. He, you know, he's a cornerback, but, you know, he kind of has more of a strong safety mindset, you know, how he plays. You know, he, he almost looks like an outside linebacker at times, you know, playing that slot position. But I really think this year could be the year he breaks out and, and really becomes a, a, a league-wide name in terms of being a possible Pro Bowl pick at, at cornerback. Or, and, and I'll get into this a little later, too, with some of the other questions we have, but you know, maybe he's more of a versatile option than than even we know now at the slot and cornerback. Maybe maybe we see some of that safety skills uh, from Louisiana Tech um, come back uh, to be utilized by Spags with the secondary that has a lot of moving pieces and a lot of new faces. And you know, to to kind of make up for maybe what we could see as a diminishing pass pass rush, or you know, hopefully not, but you know, not as good a pass rush. You know, something that could make up for that is being really creative and really, you know, uh, playmaking in the secondary. And and Sneed could be the leader of that. And I and he's such a playmaker, man. I'm really excited to see, you know, him him maybe be used more, trusted more to be that 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 primary playmaker for the defense this year. Yeah, I think that all of these are intriguing candidates for different reasons. But you're right, the definition of breakout is going to really vary depending on which guy you're yeah. talking about. You know, McCole is on this list. He'd probably be of this group the one that I think is is pretty likely to take a jump uh, just because they finally found a good role for him. We, we've, we've said the same things about McColl over and over again, but they found a good role for him. He's going to have a lot of Tyreek's job available. So a lot of what Tyreek did is going to be available to McColl to capitalize on. And he, of the group of returning receivers or of, of the group of 2022 receivers, he looks a little unique from the rest of them. You know, there, there's a yeah, profile yeah. of the of the new Chiefs receiving core, and and it's and McColl is not necessarily that guy. So it just makes you think that you know, is there some redundancy between uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and and uh, MVS? Um, you know, are those guys sort of competing for the same snaps or for the same catches along with Jody Fortson and Travis Kelsey and you know all these other guys? But there's really only one you know, gadget type player. There's only one guy who, who's going to run some of the uh, the pure speed stuff that Tyreek had. And for all the talk about Tyreek Hill being this elite deep threat, which he obviously has been throughout his career, 2021 was not a year for Tyreek uh, catching deep passes. He made a lot of yards out of short stuff. Um, and and they they were not very efficient going deep to him, and they and they didn't do it nearly as much as they would have in previous years. So when we talk about replacing his role, you're talking about replacing a lot of the stuff that McCole does well: wide receiver screens, little quick slants, the uh, uh, you know the backfield kind of stuff. McCole can do all of that 
at a pretty high level in a way that's unique, I think, in this receiving group. So, you know, maybe he he breaks out and goes from six, seven hundred yards to nine hundred or a thousand, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. on as as far as upside goes, I'd call that a breakout, I think, because it kind of puts you on the radar. If you're a thousand yard receiver, then that's that's something that's on your resume, that's on your radar. I don't know if that's if that's a huge jump from where he is now, but but I can call that a breakout. No, I'm with you. I think that'd be a breakout. I think a thousand yards, that's a significant number. Um, even if, you know, you got the 17th game and the passing game now is so, so uh, wide open today, it's still a significant number as a wide receiver. It's a career milestone. Right. And I, and I do think that would, especially going into a, an off season where he's negotiating for a contract. And I think that a thousand number would be super important for him. So I do think you can call that a breakout. Um, and yeah, no, I, I do think you, you make good points about um, him. And we talk about most likely, uh, you know, McColl does have the role in terms of like in terms of the other players. He has that position where like the guy that he that was kind of making him, you know, maybe not be able to break out. You could say in theory is gone. You, you, you see some of these other players. Snead didn't really have any. You know, you maybe could say Matthew, but Snead didn't have anyone blocking him from breaking out you know, or being the, the guy he could be like I'm projecting him to be. Uh, you know, Juan, you could even say, you know, now they have Justin Reed in, like he's still kind of clogging up Juan's ability to maybe take a, a, a second set. McColl's, McColl's hey, role is there. They 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 got him. At least it's no longer Sorensen clogging up Thornhill's <laughs> ability. <laughs> to yeah, yeah, I know. You can stomach it a little more when it's uh, Justin Reed or maybe even a Brian Cook, uh, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, no, yeah. I think McColl definitely has that bigger, that window right over maybe some of these other guys. Yeah, I want to say Clyde. I really do just because, I, I think he's so much better than than the credit he's been given right now when he's on the field. But you know, running backs are going to miss time, and and they're going to split carries, and and this team's yeah. going to carry, you know, potentially four running backs, any of whom you could see them giving the ball to. And so I, I just think the workload is going to be shared so much amongst the running backs. It's going to be hard for any of them to have a a monster year. Clyde's already got an eleven hundred yard total yard season under his belt so for him to break out you're talking 1500 yards or more i would say total yards and that's going to take a pretty concerted effort to to have him be the guy for the entire season uh, to make that happen and he's going to have to stay healthy so it's a little tough to put him in that category yeah i'd actually say it's it's probably like or not likely but you could see how clyde could have a really good year and have a really productive year and be a big part of the offense and maybe not be a break have a breakout season still kind of just have a a similarly paced season he just maybe doesn't get hurt and and kind of gets into a rhythm more this year you know by the way i also think there's some candidates that are not returning chiefs i know that was the question here is what returning chiefs are going to break out there's a few candidates that they brought in that are young players that have not yet hit their full potential we just mentioned two of them justin reed and mvs i think both of those guys could reach levels in their career that they have not done before and they're going to have every opportunity to do so here and and really being handed the reins in a lot of ways uh those two guys are potentially the number one receiver and the number one uh defensive back like the leader in that room um those guys are going to have every opportunity to shine and and really think at least from a physical tool standpoint from a from makeup standpoint and from a role both of those guys could have absolute career years this year. Yeah, I know Justin Reed, uh, you know, I 
you you see how he played with the Texans. He's a lot of he's he's a very uh, a free safety a lot I should say you know primarily a free safety deep safety. Um, that's what he really excelled at, and and he was you know he wasn't maybe as close to the line of scrimmage maybe as much as the Chiefs may try to use him here right. He may be trying to take that career leap forward where he becomes more of a versatile player. I mean he was you know versatile to an extent. All you know he's he's a good player. He's just a good overall player. Um, but I really think, you know, with Spagnolo's creativity, with the way he likes to do things, you know, maybe Reed is is kind of in line to take that that career step forward. And 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 so, um, you know, I, I think he's absolutely in that position. So, yeah, I, I like that. You know, and MBS is obviously I, I'm excited to see MBS, man. He, he, him and Mahomes apparently are, are building something. And, you know, he's the guy that was behind Devontae Adams for a, a lot of years. And, you know, maybe kind of getting out of that shadow might be able to make it help him break out, too. And it's ironic that people downplay MVS because he was just a deep threat. And yet in the same breath, they're saying, how do we replace the deep threat that was Tyreek Hill? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it, it's going to be interesting, but like he, the way he tracks the ball and his size with a, in combination with his speed, I think make him, uh, you know, a candidate to continue doing what he was doing before as a, as a deep threat. And obviously, they're going to give him more of a well-rounded uh, route tree here, but he can bring that that deep play ability in a different way that Tyreek did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe just as well or better. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, what kind of questions we got? Because I know you got the order, and uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm we're mixing up the order on me. You know, I don't even know you where bet. we're going to next. Hey, I, I got Tyler at play action underscore twenty one. Talking about the ideal Chiefs cornerback situation, um, would it be or should it be Sneed, McDuffie on the outside, and then the nickel bringing Lonnie Johnson, Fenton, and Slide McDuffie inside? Otherwise, how nervous should we Chiefs fans be about how they would line up against some of the bigger receivers in the division? Uh, he mentions Devontae Adams, Corlin Sutton, Tim Patrick, Mike Williams, etc., on the outside. So, what do you think the ideal corner rotation is for this team as it's currently constructed? Man, this is an interesting point when you bring in the AFC West receivers that they'll have to be facing. You know, there are some big bodies, and you know, guys like Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr. You know, lately Derek Carr has really gotten his deep ball or more willingness to throw the deep ball um, and, and kind of test test downfield. You know, all three of those quarterbacks are going to test those corners downfield against guys that can really go up and get it. And man, you know, McDuffie, we all know, isn't isn't the biggest guy. You know, Fenton plays very physical. You got to give him credit for how he plays, and and he plays like a bigger corner, but he's not a bit. He's not a very big corner. But I do trust Fenton in a lot of the situations uh, quite a bit. And so this is where it's kind of almost a dilemma with Snead. He is the biggest corner, the most physical corner on this team. But yeah, when you're in the nickel and you're in the nickel about seventy percent of the time, if he's going to be your slot guy. You're not going to be maybe facing, you know, and, and having, you know, have Snead in those situations of downfield, you know, contested ball situations on the outside. That's going to be where McDuffie and Fenton are playing against, again, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, these huge bodies, Mike Williams. It is interesting, man. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think that's what they're going to see. I think that is what you're going to see in terms of, uh, you know, yeah, Fenton. I think Fenton will be ready for training camp. He's going to earn that CB3 spot. I don't think Lonnie Johnson is a better cornerback than him. And, and the ex experience, too, helps Fenton. But all that to say is, yeah, I think that's going to be the lineup, what he meant, what he laid out, you know, uh, with, with Snead being in the slot. We already talked about that. And that might be a, a place where the Chiefs defense might really have to think about 
uh, you know, trying to, you know, cover their asses a little bit, you know, uh, that, that could be a way we saw it last year at times against the Bengals. Uh, and, and it could be a reoccurring theme this year with a rookie cornerback who, you know, where we have, I think he has, you know, a high future, high ceiling, but you know, it, it's going to be hard, you know, in this division right away to, to be able to, you know, play perfectly and not give up some big plays to some of these big play threats. Now I will say that the question here from Tyler, he talks about McDuffie being the guy that slides in leaving Snead outside along with somebody like Lonnie Johnson or Rashad Fenton. Um, so that scenario is, is not out of the realm of possibilities. I did hear not Nate Taylor of the athletic talk about how he believes the team's plan is to have Rashad Fenton and McDuffie be the outside starters and have Snead be able to, to play the nickel and kind of roam around a little bit, be a little bit more of a chess piece. And, and I think to me, that is a, a really good scenario um, I don't know what to do with Lonnie Johnson on this roster. I, I don't know where he fits or where they use him. Maybe he is a situational guy that plays against big receivers only. Uh, maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a role there that we're not thinking about. But you know, I think expect big roles for Fenton and and obviously Snead and McDuffie being probably your two best corners, even if your outside starters um, are are Fenton and McDuffie. It doesn't mean Snead isn't one of your best corners. It just means that his skill set allows him to roam around and do other stuff. So that, that alignment to me makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, and, and maybe it is a situational thing. Maybe they go, hey, you know, in certain situations, we're not just going to put McDuffie on Devontae Adams, you know, on the outside and, and, and let Adams feast, you know. Snead, you know, wasn't Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Jordan Love played last year when they played the Packers. But Snead played very well. And Ward, you know, got to give Ward his credit, too. But but Snead and Ward both played really well on the Adams last year. Um, and and so maybe that, you know, sometimes maybe Snead's the one that plays on the outside and 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 uh, McDuffie comes to the inside. But the other thing about the, the slot position, too, is it's a lot harder to learn um, because, you know, that receiver has a two-way go. You don't have the sideline to help you when you're in the slot. Um, you have to play a little more run defense when you're in the slot naturally just because you're closer to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, McDuffie, again, he's not this big body. He's not this Sneed type of body where he can play that, where he can come in and make a huge tackle. I mean, we don't know yet what he's going to look like. Maybe he comes in and, and really proves himself in that phase of the game. But um, that's where maybe the slot position, too, gets a little, you know, you don't want to see him maybe in there too much just because of that as well. That will be interesting. And also, I think the slot position has been redefined uh, yeah. over the NFL the last few seasons, you're not just seeing, you're not seeing the um, uh, Wes Welkers of the world as much right. in the slot anymore. You're seeing big players um, on the, in the slot. Uh, so that big slot is something to be reckoned with. And it's something that, that may lend itself to having Snead in there more so than McDuffie even. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit about McDuffie specifically versus bigger receivers. I think he might get out jumped a little bit here and there. Uh, but he'll hold his own from a physical standpoint and from a speed standpoint. Uh, and so I think from what Spagnolo expects and what he's able to get out of his guys, you know, you can, you can do a lot with McDuffie's skill set. Um, but there could just be some of those times where he just gets out jumped and you just got to live with that. Yeah. And, and it happened last year and, and, you know, we all like to blame the third and 27 that, you know, the, the Bengals getting that first down and scoring, you know, for the game, but, you know, a lot of those times it, it did work and Spags' confidence in his cornerbacks, you know, it did work. And, and you kind of just have to live with the times it doesn't work, right? Because you are trusting your players and those players, 
do you know build up confidence when you're you know you're trusting them to ha be on that island. Um, but Tyler did have another question too, and it's you know we're staying in the secondary with this question, and, and it's what's your confidence level one through ten that the twenty two version of Reed Thornhill will be better than the twenty one version of Matthew and Thornhill. Obviously, just saying you know the safety duo, you know, will we can we expect a better performance? You and I have talked about you know the Reed Matthew direct you know comparison. You know, and and the way Matthew, you know, the career, his career ended in his Kansas City tenure ended. I mean, I'd say, Reed, you can probably expect maybe some better play there. And I think Thornhill, you know, if he's if he's really feeling the best he has in, in a few years, I mean, I think you can expect a better uh, duo, you know, playing duo than than what you had at safety last year. Am I wrong there? No, I, I, I've got maybe more of a cynical view of this here. <laughs> In a rewatch that I did, I was surprised at how unimpressed I was with Tyron Matthews' play last year. And, yeah. and I don't mean that to take anything away from his legacy or whatever, but when there was talk about him being allowed to walk and not even given a, a contract offer, I could maybe see some on-field reasons for that. We'll just say it that way. Thornhill, as we know, had his struggles uh, last year. Uh, wasn't the same guy. So, so yeah, I mean, I feel actually probably eight or a nine out of one to 10 on, in, on this question, because I, I'm very confident in Justin Reed. And I do think uh, Thornhill is going to be an improvement over Thornhill last year. And, and again, I, I was less than impressed with Tyron Matthews play only when I went back and rewatched it uh, and saw some of the things that uh, some of the breakdowns, some of the, you know, maybe perceived lack of hustle or uh, business decisions that, that that came out there. You know, I think these young players are going to be flying around a little bit and uh, really taking that leadership role on themselves. Instead of waiting to see what Tyron Matthew tells them to do, I'm hoping these players are ready to take the reins, uh, play faster without thinking uh, and, and, and have their own brand of leadership and their own style of play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really confident this group's going to be better than those two were last year, just on the field, just from what I saw. Yeah, and to get a little nerdy real quick, I mean, I I, I do think, uh, you know, Thornhill has been the free safety and Matthew has been the strong safety uh, within the Spags defense last few years. And honestly, you know, I, I think we, we saw Thornhill's athleticism and how that could translate to him being that good, uh, you know, middle of the field, deep safety at times, you know, covering the back end. You know, I, I really do think, though, as time has gone on, it does seem like he's developed more into kind of more of a thumper, more of a kind of box safety type, I think, a little more than being on the back end. And I think Reed's um, skill set, his strengths are playing as more of the back end, like covering everybody's butt, you know, behind you know, in, in terms of either a, 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 you know, middle of the field safety or a cover two safety and Thornhill, maybe a better strong safety. And so maybe without Matthew being that more of that strong safety, close to the line of scrimmage, maybe Thornhill gets more of that role. Maybe he's better in that role. You know, he's a bit, he's, he's, he's not, he's, he's a pretty big body. You know, honestly, he, he can lay the wood. He's forced some fumbles. And, and again, uh, Reed's strengths are in the back end anyway. And, 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 you know, Reed can come up and Thornhill has experience in the back end, so they can be more versatile too, but Maybe primarily Thornhill's a better strong safety, and maybe that you know makes we get the best out of him in that case. So I'm I'm excited to see for sure. Well, Z-Man at Josh underscore Zalistra on Twitter. The Chiefs win the Super Bowl because of blank. And he qualifies this by saying, non-Mahomes answers only. 
So, Ron, what is your non-Patrick Mahomes reason why the Chiefs might win the Super Bowl this year? It's easy for me, man, um, because offense still wins. Offense is still the king of the NFL. It's how, you you know, defense, the saying's defense wins championships, but, uh, you know, we know it's offense. And it's the offensive line, man. The offensive line dominates. That's how the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And the offensive line dominates, and it's also given plenty of opportunity to dominate. Um, and, you know, it's not – I think one thing we've talked about over and over, we'll get into, you know, on the second half of the show, is I think the run game could be a little more impactful. And I think one way is to trust the offensive line to carry you at times a little more than they have in the past. And I think that's one way the Chiefs could win the Super Bowl this year is really – letting their offensive line be dominant uh, more than they have in the past. I love it, and I know that'll make a lot of Chiefs fans happy because there's if there's anything that has defined some of the great Chiefs teams in history. Yeah, Great offensive line play, opening everything up on the offense. I'm going to say the Chiefs win the Super Bowl because the rookies outperform expectation. This would be two years in a row, if, if this comes to fruition, that – They've gotten huge outsized contributions from their rookie class, their draft class. And if that happens, if you've got McDuffie as a lockdown, you know, starter on the outside, and you've got Karloftis as your best defensive end, if those two things alone happen, uh, this defense is going to be better and this team's going to go a long way. But if they get some other contributions from down the line, Kennard maybe ends up being a starter at some point. Chanel finds a role where he can contribute. Uh, and we, we hardly ever talk about Sky Moore when we talk about the Chiefs rookie class. Right. I realize I feel like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But there is a lot of talent there. Uh, if those guys outperform expectations and have an impact similar to what the 2021 class did last year, all of a sudden this team is young, explosive, and they still have Patrick Mahomes and company. So uh, that could be what puts them over the top once again. Imagine that flip in terms of like how everyone thinks of the Chiefs this offseason. And how everyone would think of the Chiefs next offseason if they're fresh off a Super Bowl win and two classes in a row of just insane play from their rookies. It's like, are we are, are seriously like the Chiefs just it's one of those. It's like it will be the new Patriots, that kind then- of thing where it's like. Yeah. And then they have plenty of draft capital next year and yeah. they'll be hosting the draft <laughs> in Kansas City. I mean, it's going to be a fun time to be a Chiefs fan. You know what? I'm going to flip this on, on its head a little bit. What about the opposite question? What would be the reason the Chiefs would not win the Super Bowl this year? What would keep oh. them out of the Super Bowl this year? That is a tough question because, you know, I think you have to look to the defensive side of the football, right? And I think we all – kind of just look at pass rush as that kind of maybe obvious answer here. You say, hey, they don't get enough pass rush. And that might have been why last year they, they didn't maybe get all the way there. I think, you know, the offense deserves some blame too. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think maybe, you know, to stick on offense because, you know, I, my point on offensive line was offense is the most important thing. And if the offense, if the receivers can't gel, if Mahomes and the receivers can't get on the same page, you know, if the passing offense takes a step back maybe just because the receivers just – you know, maybe they can't be as creative with the passing game, you know, at, have as much, um, you know, just like diversity in their in their pass concepts because the receivers, you know, it's just a lot to get down and they're just not all on the same page. There's a chance that happens, man. And, and there's a chance that maybe they get limited in their passing game. And, 
you know, when they really need some points late in the games, maybe they struggle because, you know, that kind of stuff comes up. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to go with that, that maybe, you know, the receiver is not getting on the same page. It, maybe it takes a little bit, you know, maybe that that uh, comes back to bite them. I can see that. I actually think your other example, the one you, you glossed over, is probably the one that I would have given right. as the pass rush. Uh, if they can't get to the quarterback, ultimately that's going to burn you uh, at some point. And and this team didn't do it very well last year and, and didn't do a lot to address that position this year. I'll throw one other thing out there. I would say if the, if the team doesn't adapt this year to the, to the roster, to the scheme, to the, the changes in personnel, if they don't adapt, if they just keep trying to do exactly what they've done the last couple of years, uh, they're not going to go back to the Super Bowl. They've got to do some things differently from a play calling standpoint, from a you know just a predictability standpoint. So they won't win the Super Bowl if they're too predictable. So find a way to to mix it up on both sides of the football, uh, and they can go a long way. Uh, that's a good one, honestly, because yeah, you're right. If they, if they really do try to roll it out, just like they did last year in terms of how they attack defenses, it, I, especially with not having Tyreek anymore, it's definitely not going to work. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that one. Well, speaking of not getting to the quarterback, um, let, let's talk about black elf 19 at little boa six, six, two, four's question. Where do you rank the chiefs defense compared to the rest of the league? And do you think this defense as it stands can surpass Last year's sack total. Well, man, you look at the stats last year, and and you sure hope so because they finished 29th in sacks, had 31 sacks on the season, um, and definitely you know one of the worst sack rates in the entire NFL. Um, but the funny part about that stags is that they actually finished fifth, according to Pro Football Reference, fifth in total team pressure rate. Meaning, you know, they were pressuring the quarterback at some of the, the highest numbers in the entire NFL at a, at a per-snap basis, but they were not finishing. And, and obviously that all came to fruition in the playoffs uh, against the Bengals. Uh, that became a major theme to that game. Um, but it, it, it does show you, though, that, you know, getting after pressure, that, that's the first step to getting a sack, right? Getting the pressure. And, you know, just because, you know, one season you maybe not finish as many, now, you know, maybe next season, you know, some of them just fall your way a little more. You know, a lot of that's on the quarterbacks, you know, depending on who you play, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you're playing a court, you know, you're playing a certain quarterback, even if he's a good quarterback, some quarterbacks, you know, succumb to pressure a lot more than others. Right. And and so it can vary a lot like that. So I definitely see how the sack total can get higher this year um, than what they had last year. Um, just because Jones playing from the defensive tackle position all year is going to help um, not playing out of position for half the season. Um, Karloftis, I really, you know, I, I do think the for the full season, you know, just his, his, you know, the amount of snaps he gets, you know, it, taking advantage of Jones, you know, pressing quarterbacks to the outside. I think he'll be able to rack up some sacks, um, you know, in a situational role at times, you know, maybe rushing from the interior on third down. And so I, I do think they could get the sack totals up for sure. So I, I'm pretty confident that they can get it up. Yeah, it feels like it's a little fluky if all you do is look at the stats and you say that they were 29th in sacks, but fifth in pressures you can say all right that's something that will revert back to the mean you know that you'll yeah exactly that's going to correct itself a little bit this coming year you could also say that chris jones had a relative down year in terms of number of sacks frank clark definitely had a down year in terms of number of sacks if both of those guys are are healthy and in a good place in the right positions you know they should revert back a little bit higher uh, towards their career averages and so all of a sudden, maybe you've got 
those guys performing above where they were last year. Melvin Ingram is gone, but he he really didn't have a lot of sacks for this team anyway. So oh. if you're just looking at sacks, if you have Chris Jones and Frank Clark, and those guys are uh, up a couple of sacks from where they were before, and you add in Karloftis, who again, let's say he gives you six sacks, now all of a sudden that 31 sacks is closer to 40. Uh, and and forty three was top ten last season, so yeah. so you could really make a case that they can get, you know, they're not going to be the number one pass rushing team in the league with this lineup, but maybe they could be top ten, which would be a significant improvement uh, upon last year's defense. And really, I think where the sack totals or where the pass rush goes, the whole defense goes. So this team was pretty bad when it came to some other defensive metrics last year. Um, the pass rush is better. Their secondary has completely turned over in a way that gives you some hope that they'll be able to cover a little bit better. And all of a sudden, you've got a defense that's that's competent uh, in in all around. Uh, but it all it's predicated upon getting to the quarterback. Yeah, and I do think you talk about you know they may have maybe the pass rush has a super upgrade on the defensive line. But, you know, I could see Spags getting pretty creative with the, the linebackers and safeties they have. You know, you, you talk about upgrade. I would say Ben Neiman blitzing on third down compared to who you might have this year blitzing on that same situation. It's probably going to be an upgrade this year. I, you know, for I don't think Neiman's strengths were necessarily blitzing. I'm not going to lie, but he was asked to blitz quite a bit. Um, and so I, I do think like if it was a Willie or Leo Chanel in those roles um, and even Dan Sorensen, blitz, I think he was actually a pretty good blitzer. I'll, I'll give him credit there. I think Sorensen. You know, blitz as well and, and takes good angles um, when he's good. We tried our best to make the case that Neiman and Sorensen should only be blitzing and should yeah. never be in coverage or trying to tackle anybody in, in the open field. So uh, that actually leads into a couple of questions. Uh, Yo, that's funny. And Nick both asked about um, similar things that I think we could talk about real quick. Chris Jones and Frank Clark, are they helped more by George Karloftis or a linebacker core? That is a, a harder hitting group. That was Yo's question. And the next question was, what about the possibility of Leo Chanel playing similar to Micah Parsons or a similar role, which would be ideal considering the defensive end depth chart? I do think there's something to be said for the linebackers helping the pass rush if they're used in a more creative way. I don't know that Leo Chanel is going to have a big role early on, um, but he has a, the makeup to be – you know, the, really the best pass rusher from the Sam position they've had in the Spagnuolo era in, in Kansas City. So, you know, that's certainly something that could help the pass rush and could elevate Jones and Clark uh, to some extent. And, and it's not just Chanel. Like it really could be Willie Gay. Could, like you said, it could be a lot of guys in that, in that second level uh, if they're used creatively enough. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I get why he said the Micah Parsons uh, thing just to make his point. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be Micah Parsons. Do not expect 13 sacks from Leo Chanel in his rookie season. But <laughs> I, I do think, yeah, no, I do think there's definitely something to where, you know, I think we're hearing a little bit that Elijah Lee is definitely, you know, taking his 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 stance with the linebacker group and, and earning a role where I think he could maybe be at third linebacker when they use three of them um, right away. Chanel might have to earn that role a little bit um, going into the first part of his rookie season, but where he can be utilized. Um, and I think it could may maybe be a, an advantage because he's, he's fresh legs in these situations. Yeah. And certain third down packages where, yeah, maybe you have, 
you know, Karloftis moving to the inside and Chanel's the outside pass rusher. Um, you know, yeah, Tershawn Wharton is, is always a versatile guy you can mix in there too. You can throw these guys all over the line. I mean, uh, Chanel, you watch his college tape. I mean, I, I saw a lot of good stuff where he was rushing the quarterback from the inside too. So maybe you even throw him kind of, you know, just throw him at the guards and, and, and see if he can just, you know, make a, a guard's life hell. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a role where he could just be right away. We don't really see him unless he's getting after the quarterback because the other linebacker roles might be filled right away. Well, tell you what, we have more questions, but let's get to the to a break. And one of my favorite things that we're doing now, Ron, do you have a would you rather for us uh, to take us in and out of break? Yeah, and this one's topical. Um, you know, I was, I was on the radio with Jay Binkley Sunday morning talking about this because, you know, it's coming down to it. Um, and, and here's my would you rather. Would you rather trade for Robert Quinn, the Chicago Bears pass rusher that really wants to get out of there, or just sign a veteran free agency a free agent from the free agency pool? Uh, we'll get Stag's answer on the other side of the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, we're back here on the AP Out of Structure podcast. Appreciate you listening. We've been answering your questions on the show so far, but I have my own question and I proposed it to Stags before the break. Um, and, and, and I want everyone else's opinion. So if you got a, an opinion on this uh, answer, you know, uh, reply to us on Twitter, you know, let us know because this will be something that may happen, you know, this week or it may not. Um, and it is, would you rather trade for Robert Quinn or sign a veteran free agent from the free agency pool to just get another player in that edge position? Cause it is thin and it does seem like they, they have a hole. Um, just another guy that can contribute there, right, Stag? So what do you think? Um, would you rather trade for Robert Quinn? I have some numbers if you want to get into his cap hits or just sign a cheap free agent. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, all else equal, you'd always rather sign a guy off the street than, than give up draft capital, right? I mean, that's that's one of those things that it's just, it's just a no-brainer, right? If, if there's an equal talent that's available, why would you give up a draft pick? The problem is the free agent pool is quite shallow, and and I, I wouldn't get excited about just about anybody that's available right now off the street. Robert Quinn is the best pass rusher that is available to this team, potentially. Um, if they can trade for him for – I would love to see it be a fourth round or later. Um, you know, something like that to me would make a ton of sense. I'm not worried about his contract. Um, obviously, his, 
He's a little bit up there in years, but so is everybody else on the free agent market right now, basically. So uh, I'm not worried about that. He's a productive player. Um, he would step in and, and likely be the best pass rusher on this team uh, the day he signs his contract. And all of a sudden, you've got a variety of, of pass rushers that you just don't have right now. So, so yeah, I'm going to make that trade nine times out of ten. Uh, the cap hits are, you know, they're not nothing, but but they're manageable, I think. Yeah. And, and I think that if I understand this contract correctly, there's no dead money coming with him. So if if the, the cap hit is manageable for this year and they decide to let go of him next year, they're not out anything. Uh, if that's the case, if that's accurate, then it's a no-brainer to me. Yeah, and, you know, the reason it's a no-brainer for the most part or, you know, why someone would call it a no-brainer, man, that defensive end position is so thin. I mean, it is it is very scary. You know, one one injury and you're dealing with a lot of inexperience, a lot of guys that just have not played football and, you know, NFL, a lot of NFL snaps at least. And so that's where Quinn, you know, comes in. And, you know, Frank Clark's a veteran in the room, but, man, he's the only veteran. He's the only one with any sort of experience. It would be kind of cool for, you know, these young guys like a Karloftis to learn from a guy like Quinn who, you know, Jay made the point on his show, you know, Aaron Donald credits a lot of his pass rush technique to learning from Robert Quinn when they played together. Um, you know, Joey Bosa talks highly of Robert Quinn. Um, with, with, and Joey Bosa is one of the most technical rushers in the league. You know, Quinn is a guy that could definitely, you know, come in and, and help in that respect too, help develop a guy like Karloftis who, you know, right now he has that foundation that we like, but he, you know, I think he lacks some of the technical stuff. Um, but you know, we're all hoping that he can obviously learn that as he goes. The, I, I will say though, the reason I, I kind of broke it down is this may happen this week. Cause if, if the chiefs want, want to trade for Robert Quinn, guess what they have to do it. They have to sign Orlando Brown jr. First, they can't have the Orlando Brown jr. Franchise tag cap hit, um, and, and take on the Robert Quinn contract at the same time. I, you know, they, I, I don't think that's possible. And if it is, they're gonna have to do some, some, some rearranging. Um, and so. That's where if you sign if they if they get this long term contract done with Brown before the deadline, that's when you should really be on Robert Quinn alert because I think that that could be the, the time to make the move. Now technically they could, right? The cap hits twelve point eight. They've got what fourteen million in cap space last I saw. Is that well, right? But the Orlando was that so I guess that may be with the franchise tag. Yeah, but either way, they they'll never leave themselves with no cap space like that. So they always like to have that cushion going into the season. So I don't think that – I think you're right. I don't think they would do it until they knew they were able to get Orlando Brown signed um, unless they have other levers and contract restructures that they could, you know, pull the trigger on. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they could squeeze them both in. They just are unlikely to do so. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That, the cap doesn't exist, right? Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a mythical thing. But – no, I, I, I just think, you know, it could it could be a little risky to, to have the, that big cap hit with the franchise tag and Robert Quinn's. Although you're right, it it actually wasn't as much, you know, before I did the research and saw the cap hits, I thought it was a lot more. I thought it was closer to 18 or 19. Um, so it's 12.8 according to Track on Twitter. He says that, the you know, the team receiving the trade, would, would that would be a $12.8 million cap hit in 2022. So much more manageable, honestly, than I originally thought so. It, the more time goes on, the more maybe the Bears get desperate, the more I like uh, the idea of trading for them, for sure.
You bet. I mean, that's been a need all off season. It's still the best player available. He was the best player available probably uh, a couple of moves ago. And so, yeah, there's no reason why I, I would say no to that deal unless it's just an exorbitant draft pick, which for his age, I just can't imagine that it would be. So um, that's definitely my, uh, that would be definitely my vote. Now I will say uh, spot track does estimate the chiefs cap space at 11 million uh, top 51. Uh, and, and that would be just under the cap hit for Quinn. So yeah, they'd probably have to have other moves that go with it. Most likely, most logical would be Orlando Brown Jr., which I still think does get done at the at the deadline, yeah. and they roll from there. All right, so let's let's go a couple more questions here, and then we'll get to our segments for the week. Jeff, not Jeff, at Jeff Pars on Twitter. Why is everyone convinced that Willie Gay is going to be a star? I, ho- I hope I'm wrong, but there's a reason he hasn't gotten the playing time that a star would get. Yeah, no, I don't really quite get the playing time part of this, right? I feel like he's been a, you know, this last year he was the starting Will linebacker next to Hitchens and all the nickel formations. So, I mean, he was, I mean, he's, you can't get much more of a starter than Willie. Uh, you know, I don't get Spags' dime defense thinking where he puts Neiman on the field for those very important third down plays. But, you know, that's not Gay's fault. Um, you know, I, that, you know, I, it, I, I'm not getting into now, that right now. Now, they did uh, ease him in, right? Like, from day one, he wasn't uh, at his rookie season. He was not given a starting role day one, right? They yeah. they did ease him in that way. Uh, maybe that's what what Jeff's thinking about. But also, you know, yeah, there were still a lot of times last season when the fans were were screaming, "Why isn't Willie Gay on the field more? Why isn't it him and Bolton on the field more?" Uh, and and I think when you saw a lot of Hitchens, you saw a lot of Neiman. Uh, it made people wonder why we didn't see more of Willie Gay, and if he's a star linebacker, if he's a, you know, all-pro caliber, you know, Pro Bowl type player, then he should be on the field all the time as a linebacker. I'm guessing that's the the point. No, no, it makes sense. Yeah, you're right. No, I I agree. He should be in the dime defense, and and maybe that is, you know, maybe Neiman being on the field is just, you know, maybe we need to take more from that in terms of, you know, um, him being, you know, Spags trusting him more than Gay, uh, you know. So we'll see. If they put Gay in the dime defense this year, I, I think that says a lot because the dime defense is the most important um, package for, you know, a lot of the time because it's on third down and passing downs. And um, it'd be nice to have someone a little more, you know, a little more of a playmaker. That's the thing. Willie's proved he's a playmaker. Whether that's, uh, you know, whether that turns into, you know, three down playing all the time like the star, like he says, we don't know that yet. Um, but he's definitely had a good start, in my opinion. He's definitely a playmaker. Can make plays in the passing game. Jump. He's jumped a few routes already. You know, has read quarterbacks' eyes well. I, I think he's gotten off to a good start in the NFL. You know, I, I get the star part of it, and I don't think I don't know how many people are are saying he's a star linebacker. I don't think anyone's yeah. trying to say that. Um, Nick yeah. Bolton seems like the star to me. I think Nick Bolton's the one that seems to be um, that everyone's kind of looking at as the star. I think Willie. I think Willie. I think we all kind of know that Willie's, you know, a playmaker and and a guy. I don't think anyone's expecting him to be a an all pro though. I don't know. Maybe that maybe they are. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes this season. But yeah, I think if you had to rank your linebackers, he'd be Willie Gay's your second best linebacker at this point. He is the most most athletic of that group. So you hope that that there's more upside there, and you'd think that the more he gets, uh, you know, into the defense, that he's going to be more of a playmaker and his stats will, will be 
um, you know, will, will be evidence of that. And with Neiman and Hitchens out of the way, then then the opportunity is there. So this will be the season. We'll see one way or the other if he becomes a star. I love the athletic ability. Love to see him on the field uh, and and just let it fly, right? Um, last question from our guy, Rocky Magania. Rocky. Wake up. And Derek Carr is the quarterback for the Chiefs. And Mahomes <laughs> is a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals. What do you do? Well, yeah, my first question is, like, do I know – like, did I know what happened – Do like, like, do I know the history of, like, Mahomes not – or, like, playing quarterback beforehand and Derek Carr not being the Chiefs quarterback? Or, like, am I waking up and, like, and I already know that or I'm already accepting that and I've already let's, grown up knowing that? Let's say – Let's say you wake up and Mahomes has retired from the NFL to pursue his pitching career and has been signed by the Royals. And subsequently the Chiefs trade for Derek Carr. And that's where the, that's where they're at. What do you do with yourself at that point? Well, you know, now he's my quarterback. You know, I gotta support him. So I'm gonna go get some eyeliner so I can, you know, so I can, you know, uh, be like my quarterback. Uh, you know, it would be pretty cool, though, honestly, to have uh, a, a quarterback, uh, you know, hopefully win maybe another Super Bowl before he does this uh, and and go, you know, just retire. So, you know what? I just want to go pitch. And all of a sudden he's the pitcher and owner of the Royals because he does own them as well. Mm. So, uh, no, I, I don't know. I would just uh, I, I wouldn't be too happy about it, to be honest with you, Rock. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, at the same time, it'd be kind of cool for uh, for Mahomes to, to pitch. I'd, I'd like to see that. You know, him playing for the Royals would, um, you know, would be a nice boost for the Royals, uh, and they could use yeah. that. Yeah, but uh, but it'd be such a downgrade for the Chiefs, and it'd be so depressing to have to watch Derek Carr uh, <laughs> and, and after getting used to Patrick Mahomes. That would be uh, the hard part. I, I would I would not be happy. Uh, what do you do about it? I mean, I don't know. Let's uh, let's see if they they've got any openings on the on Royals review as opposed to. Uh, <laughs> or pride. I, I don't know, man. That that would be tough. Um, well, let's uh, let's jump into our segments. Uh, this is the time of year where we're making lists about everything. And as we alluded to before, and if you've been following the website at arrowheadpride.com, you've seen that we're listing off the top 20 Chiefs for this season. This is something Ron did last year. I'm doing it this year. It pre- creates a good uh, comparison point. So first – the first week in the, the first episode of the series, we counted down from 20 to 17. Uh, any surprises for you on my rankings? I've got uh, Jer- uh, Justin Reed at number 20 uh, up to uh, Derek Nottie at 17 uh, with a couple of newcomers, uh, additional newcomers, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster at 19 and George Karloftis at 18. So the first rookie on the top 20 uh, at number 18. And then you've got two of the free agent additions uh, rounding out that group. Uh, any, any surprises from, from you with that list, or do you disagree with any of those guys being in the top 20? Oh, well, you know, honestly, Justin Reed um, being at 20 is kind of surprising to me. Uh, you know, with, with the contract he signed and, and kind of the way they're, they're presenting him, you know, he's going to be a, a big part of the defense. And, you know, I, I love me some Derek Nottie, but, I got to think Justin Reed is going to be a little more important to the defense than Derek Nottie will be as much as I love me some Nottie, one of the most underrated players um, on the team. So that was my first surprise for sure. It's just, you know, Justin Reed, you know the, maybe a little more credit, you know, 
That's fair. I mean, I think whenever it comes to, to newcomers on this team, it, yeah. it takes me a little bit to get them up the rankings. And, and I think maybe that's the sort of like how Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo do it. Like they make yeah. them earn, make the newcomers earn their jobs. And he kind right. of starts off there. Derek Nottie's fun though, because if I look back to your rankings last year, he was also number 17 in your rankings. So uh, the consistency out of Derek Nottie is what keeps him in that spot for me. Uh, I do think very highly of Justin Reed. I do think he's going to move up those rankings pretty quickly. Uh, but until we've seen him on the field, it's pretty hard to give him sight unseen, you know, a, a top 10 ranking or anything like that. Well, yeah. And then on your 16 through 13, you know, you got Thornhill in that range. And and so it, it is significant to me, um, you know, having Thornhill over Reed, because I think right now I, I, I do think maybe that the, the safety group, it does kind of seem like they're maybe looking at Reed as more of the guy and, and Thornhill maybe as the secondary guy. But at the same time, you ask Thornhill, he's the all first safety <laughs> and he's the guy leading this group. So, you know, you, you take that confidence too and you take the experience in the system. You know, maybe we do get to the season and maybe Thornhill is more of the number one guy, that the, 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 the true, you know, number one safety for Spags. And maybe Reed's more of the the secondary guy that's more kind of playing, you know, complimentary to, to him, you know, I mean, we don't really know that yet. I mean, Thornhill could maybe you know take over that role more or more than I'm giving him credit for. And just like with anything this time of year, this is not permanent, right? These, these rankings will, will move and they do throughout the year. If you follow the, the website and the things that we put out, uh, I, I do a series that is called market movers. And we, we talk about that on this show every once in a while, but in that, in that process, I'm kind of keeping track every single week of where guys are on this rankings and, and they move every single week with the exception of the number one spot, just about every other spot on the roster moves uh, throughout the season. And, and I think this is a scenario where uh, the numbers 20 through through 17 had some newcomers on it. Um, some of some veteran players that we've yet to see line up in the chiefs uniform, uh, 16 through 13 had a lot of the young players on this roster that still have some upside. And so that's, a, I try to be forward looking when I put this list out and, be, and think about, you know, who's the future core of this team. And if you look at the way they built their off season, this was a top heavy roster last year. You had a core of, of players that they really leaned on. And then had a bunch of other guys that were depth, uh, you know, some veterans that, that many of us thought were sort of dead weight, but they were uh, they were death that the team really relied on. And it, as far as the goals for the offseason, the way I looked at it was I really wanted to see them upgrade their depth and get younger and get faster. Uh, they certainly have done that. And I think these rankings in the middle, the, the lower teens, uh, really reflect some of that youth coming around. So you've got Trent McDuffie on that list. Uh, Thornhill, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and McCole Hardman. Some of those guys are controversial, you know, in, in where they should be ranked. And, and I imagine some of you feel like Clyde should be lower or McCole should be lower. Um, but in terms of their ability, their youth, their potential to be impact players, uh, I definitely uh, put weight into, into the future uh, of this team uh, in these teams' uh, rankings. Yeah, I mean, I'd go the opposite of what you said that, um, and I agree with you that more people, I think, maybe would push back on 
uh, you know, maybe one of Clyde or McColl being higher. I'd say, uh, if anything, I'd, I'd say they maybe should be higher, or McColl at least would should maybe be higher in terms of being the most experienced receiver in the in the system in the offense. You know, I know MBS has had a good offseason, but you know, McColl's more of the the important X factor, I think, to an extent, right? I think if you can unlock his abilities, um, you know, I I think it can it makes the offense have a higher ceiling than maybe if you unlock the most of MBS's. Um, to yeah, we'll, we'll we'll tune in next week. Uh, we'll we'll have the next four in the list, and and you might see a couple other more controversial names there that we can argue about. Uh, but that's what makes it fun this time of year. It's all conjecture, but it's at least uh, something fun to talk about. Um, Ron, you've been running a series on the site as well. The Reed Remix is one that I was really excited to see you get started on. Uh, every episode of that or every edition of that has been fantastic. Uh, what's the Reed Remix topic of the week? Remix. Reed Remix. Anyways, with that time, yours. Oh, yeah. So since we're going every other week here on the show, I get a, a couple of Reed Remixes uh, each, uh, between each recording. And the last couple actually kind of went together, so it worked out. Uh, the, ru- the running game was a couple weeks ago, and then I looked in the play-action passing this last week, but Man, I, I really do think the Chiefs, you know, the running game, uh, the way it could evolve in the offense this year, it could really make this offense, you know, take take it, you know, take everything to another level, kind of zaggle everyone's zigs in the NFL. And and I think everyone, you know, I, I want to make sure I emphasize, you know, the my point here on the run game where, you know, I don't want anyone to think I'm just saying, hey, yeah, let's just load up, get more heavier personnel and, and be more of a traditional run game and, and, and kind of take away the explosiveness of Patrick Mahomes in that sense. No, there's a way to do it that that's more hybrid, right? And, and the way to do it is, and we've talked about these receivers that how good they are at blocking, man, what that does, the advantage of having lighter personnel that can still, you know, that still be able to, to run some, some um, power blocking a guy like Juju, he can block just as, you know, maybe not just as well. I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I think he could block just as well as a guy like Noah Gray or Blake Bell in, in some, in some extent. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's where I think today's NFL, these lighter linebackers, this, this past heavy NFL has forced defenses to get really light at the second level. That's where guys like Juju and MVS can come in and, and fill a hole and, and take on a play side linebacker in the gap because he's not a 265, 270. Maybe not that heavy in the '90s, but these big old linebackers used to have in the NFL. Man, today they're like two twenty, two thirty sometimes, and and that's not that much bigger than a guy like Juju, right? And so that's why I really think, and and I've highlighted this, where I really think the Chiefs, not only in, in just the basic run stuff, you know, using the receivers to 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 maybe um, be more primary parts of the run game, also in the play action, dude. If your receivers are, are good blockers and are really threatening, you know, and, and really getting linebackers to worry about, okay, I know Juju could come crack on me, so I really got to worry about him. Man, that just gives your play action a whole nother wrinkle. Because Chiefs, because the play action passing game has not, uh, you know, um, been effective or was not effective last year as it was in, in other years past. And it's simply because, got, you know, no one cares about, you know, play action fake against the Chiefs. No one's, no one's coming up on the line. And I really think, you know, if the run game can just get a little more established, force defenses to just respect it a little more, just get linebackers to care about a little more. And like I just said, you know, get linebackers to think, okay, I could get blocked by a, you know, a Juju or an MBS at any, at any moment, just make them think about it. It just creates that much more separation in the intermediate parts of the field off play action passes. 
And that's where I think you could open up a little bit more. And and so, yeah, I, I, I think the run game just has so many ways it could go. And I think Andy Reid is creative enough to do it, but I, he's just got to do it. I, I just it would it would break my heart if we came out and it looked the same as it did last year. What do you think the other than the fact that their run game wasn't so effective, or they just they weren't running the ball very much? Uh, what else do they need to do to be more effective in the play action? Like, what is is this a is this a when do you call it? Is this a getting away from RPOs and getting more towards traditional play action? Is this uh, something Mahomes needs to do better? No, it's it's in my opinion, it's mostly about the play call and mostly about and I mentioned this earlier with the offensive line, trusting the offensive line and trusting the offense to to use the run game as a weapon instead of just using it as a a filler between plays, right, or between pass plays. I really feel like that's how I think of the run game in the Andy Reid or at least the Patrick Mahomes era. They're using it just as a way to get between – they can't pass it every play, right? So, all right, we'll try to get four or five yards when we hand it off so we can get to the next pass play. No, I, I think where they can make it more effective is just trusting it a little more and forcing defenses to counter it. The Chiefs, the amount of light boxes they saw last year, the efficiency numbers again running should have been absurd. It, it should have been ridiculous because – uh, you know, because they, they had a good yard per average last year at 4.5 yard per average. I believe it was the 10th highest in the league. You know, that's a good, good run game, right? With the m- amount of light boxes they saw, the amount of two high safety looks they saw, the amount of times they had a uh, had the, you know, an advantage in the run game with how good their offensive line is. They need to be putting up insanely efficient numbers on the run game. I really think they can. And, and I think it's up to the coaching staff to actually allow them to do it by, you know, giving more you know, gap runs, not these zone runs, not these horizontal zone runs, you know, more, uh, you know, more the pin and pull stuff, more the the power, the counters where you're getting Trey Smith pulling, you're getting Joe Tooney out in space, Creed Humphrey even. Um, I, I just really think they can, they can emphasize that more. And I think that's how you force defenses to respect the run game more. That's how you open up play action. You know, that strong safety, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to maybe take a few, too, too, you know, few, too many steps towards the line of scrimmage because, you know, he's tired of, you know, getting those eight, 10 yard chunks off, you know, off the run because Clyde's just been killing them because the offensive line's dominating. And that's where, you know, you just open up that much more space than they were uh, in the past. That's one of those things where this may not be an everyday occurrence when, when real football nerds, real like NFL X and O people agree with every other fan watching the game <laughs> is that the solution to, the cover two stuff, the the uh, yeah. when they're taking away everything deep, a very obvious solution to that would be to run the ball effectively when you have a light box, and I think I think everybody agrees with that, and it just feels so obvious and and frustrating that they haven't figured that part out. Yeah, exactly, and I just I, it's not that you know I don't think it's not that they haven't been you know calling run plays in certain situations and 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 the Clyde hasn't been getting a ton of handoffs against light boxes and it's not like he hasn't taken advantage of those at times but they could just be taking advantage of so much more than they do right now and and it's again it's just about you know uh, again uh, you know Ronald Jones coming over I really think you know getting him in the in the room they also need to take advantage of how the Bucks utilized him in in Tampa Bay um they used a lot more gap runs duo you know duo is 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 a run scheme that the Chiefs started to use a lot more down the stretch last year and trust their offensive line. And it's because, you know, it's not a zone blocking scheme where you're, you're not firing off maybe as much. It's, it's you're firing off and double teaming, you know, everybody at the point of attack. And so I, and I, and I do think a pin and pull game too, where, 
you know, just, just real quick, uh, you know, a pin and pull run is if you're an offensive lineman, if you're covered, you pin that guy away from where the run is going. And if you're not covered, you pull. That's why it's called pin and pull. Hmm. And that's where you saw like Ryan Jensen, the center for the Bucks, really utilize his, his kind of his ability in space. Guess who else was really good at that? Creed Humphrey. And they didn't utilize that at all really as much unless, unless it was a screen pass, right? You can use that in the run game too. And so it's just all these things that they could, they could do to increase the effectiveness of each run. It's not, it's not that they haven't been running against light boxes. It's just that the run, the way they run has just not been as effective as it could be. And, and I'm excited to see if they really, uh, you know, emphasize more of those power runs this year. Yeah. If, if every play is an RPO and 75% of the time Mahomes passes on those. Yeah. And then the other 25, it is a, a run that's not well set up, then you're not going to have a very effective running game. The other thing that you pointed out in your article is it's not just about how this scheme can help the run game. It's about how it opens up routes down the field. And, you know, if teams are sitting on all the deep stuff, um, then, then you can, you can run at that. You can run at that. And then when you have the chance to pass, when you pull in the play action pass, then it's opening up the middle of the field for Kelsey. It might be opening up some of those, those deeper routes that are a little bit longer developing uh, for a guy like MVS. Well, yeah. Well, and, and one point I made in the article on the play action article is that, you know, we saw a lot of two high safeties last year, but when the chiefs did see those teams, like the Raiders who were very stubborn and wanted to continue playing their cover three, one high safety stuff. Well, non-coincidentally Mahomes shredded it and, and destroyed, you know, those one high safety looks because it's a lot easier to throw when there's, you know, when there's only one safety over the top rather than two kind of clouding everything. And I do think a more effective run game, you know, defenses will be more willing or more tempted, I should say, maybe to bring that safety closer to the line, that other safety closer to the line of scrimmage and have only one safety over the top. But they just, no defenses were ever willing to do it last year, except for those stubborn ones. Maybe if the run game is more effective, defenses are more willing to make that risk. And you can also manipulate the linebacker and the safety a little bit and, and get some some better matchups uh, in the in the passing game, um, or at least just give your guy a step to get open. Right? If 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 they're reacting to that play action and they're and they actually have to respect it, yeah. uh, then they're not going to be as tight in coverage, and Mahomes is going to have more places to throw the ball. Yeah, you know, PFF did a great study on on the effectiveness of play action and and looking at each team and how. They literally looked at how much distance a linebacker moved towards the run on a play action pass, you know, compared to every single run um, and, and looked at each team. You look at teams like the Titans and the Browns, they have, they get linebackers to truly bite and it creates a lot of separation. That's why guys like AJ Brown and, and, you know, Julio Jones su- succeeded in that offense in Tennessee because they were, there's a ton of space getting created from Derrick Henry, you know, threatening defenses and linebackers really feeling like they need to come up and make plays. The Chiefs can be that dominant of their own game. I really believe that with the offensive line they have. I know it's never going to look like a Derrick Henry offense. And linebackers are never going to be more worried about the run game than Patrick Mahomes passing it, obviously. But I do think, and, and actually in that study, it showed that the Chiefs just did not make linebackers move at all in the, in the play-action game. I do think they could maybe have a little more effectiveness than they've had uh, in the past. Well, I know this is a dumb question, but uh, Ron, do you have anything to ramble about this week? I feel like I just rambled, you know. I feel like I was just <laughs> rambling. That was my rambling, Ron. Uh, but no, to cl- close out this week, it's been a fun show. And uh, Caleb Osborne asked uh, the question, at Osborne underscore Caleb. He asked, why did the Royals have to make the offseason ten times more painful? And I felt this 
on, on a spiritual level for sure. Um, because as someone that, you know, the Royals, they're, they're, you know, I grew up going to games. I had season tickets, you know, just like the Chiefs. Love me some Royals baseball. Love going to the K. Um, you know, my, you know, I think sophomore, junior year in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah they, well, actually senior year um, were the years that they went to the World Series back to back. And it was, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, you know, not, you know, being able to go down to the parade and just, um, you know, I, I, there's not, I, I, I say it a lot, but, and I love Chiefs football and, you know, there's nothing better than playoff football, I should say, but playoff baseball is a close number two, man. Playoff baseball, the intensity, you know, being at the game, all of that to say, man, I freaking miss having a competitive baseball team. I really do. I mean, it would make these, these summer, you know, this dead period right now, so much more fun if they were in the hunt, if Bobby Witt, you know, his breakout year was, was with a playoff team or, you know, and, and we're seeing, you know, just that the pitching maybe come a lot, you know, Granky coming back. It would have been so fun to see him kind of lead a young starting rotation, you know, into a playoff run or play, at least contention, but nope, nope. Stags, they, they're just unwatchable and I don't really follow them to be honest with you guys. Yeah, so. That's the surprise of this season for the Royals for me is that is how unwatchable they are. I mean, this yeah. was, there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of players to be excited about on that roster. Exactly. Both, both all the rookies that are up now and some of the some of the veterans that are there, Benintendi and and Whit Merrifield and Sal Perez are still awesome players to watch. I don't know how you take that lineup and make it so brutal to watch uh, and have have all the young pitching prospects and have not a single one of them look like a passable major league starter at this point. Obviously, you got to think it's the coaching staff. Um, and, or maybe it's just a year too early for some of those guys. But I remember when the Royals went on their run. I remember that 2014 Royals team and the 2015 Royals team. That was a lot of fun. It almost overshadowed parts of the Chiefs season when they were in their playoff run and the Chiefs season was just getting started. It was those games that didn't matter as much. Uh, but, man, every one of those playoff games uh, was a nail-biter. Every single one of them was – was drama and history, and you just felt it uh, through the years there. And so uh, that time of Royals baseball, uh, again, it rivaled Chiefs football, uh, if anything ever has. And you're right; it's it is it's not fun, Caleb. I'm with you, and this is this is <laughs> this is a painful year. And and again, what makes it so painful is they have so much young talent, uh, and and it's still miserable. Yeah, you know, I, I, it, I'm, I'm a football guy, so I'm always gonna be football first. But no, I, man, you know, as, as someone, you know, every once in a while, you maybe flip on something that, you know, like a YouTube, you know, highlight video, and you want to just watch something. You know, there's, there's not many better videos to watch if you just want to get some goosebumps and you know those Royals highlights from that, those years. I mean, it, it, as much as the Chiefs Super Bowl run, you know, really, I mean, like the Texans game, the divisional round, or watching the AFC Championship, or even just obviously the Super Bowl. I don't know, man. There's something about watching those royal those memories, getting those feels back. You know, the wild card game. How mm-hmm. they almost they almost didn't even, you know, go to the ALDS. They were down seven three in the eighth inning, and I mean, it's just you know, even they almost lost in the extra innings in that game too. I mean, you know, just the magic of that team, man. They they made it. They did not make it easy, and uh, that was the best part, man. No, some of those crazy moments, just some of the comebacks, some of the ways they did it. I mean. 
the Astros game in 2015. Oh my gosh, dude, that's <laughs> it doesn't. I know. I, I, I. That's why. That's what I'm saying, dude. I, I do love when the Royals are competitive. I, I, I love watching some good baseball, but it has just been tough to lately, man, and and, and it sucks. It really does. Well, short of Patrick Mahomes pitching for the Royals in the offseason, as uh, alluded to earlier by our guy, uh, that's not going to happen. But the Chiefs are going to go to camp pretty soon. They do have a couple of transactions in the hopper, uh, we hope, for the next couple of weeks. So when we talk to you again, we may have Orlando Brown Jr. in a long-term contract and a new pass rusher in town and a lot to look forward to in St. Joe. Uh, until then... Hang in there, Chiefs Kingdom and Royals Royals Kingdom as well. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen with us. Make sure you rate, review, uh, and continue to listen to all the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We appreciate your support uh, and your loyalty, and we'll talk to you again soon.